Good morning. Uh, my name is Jason Schubert. I forgot to introduce myself earlier. One of the elders here at Harbor, and we're glad everyone's with us on this Lord's Day. Uh, we have been uh, working our way through the book of First Samuel. Um, we've seen that uh, in this book, God has been doing the work of uh, preparing His people for the coming of the King of His choice. People have had a hard time with that, and the work has been uh, slow going, but we're seeing God make progress in the hearts and the lives of his people. And what we saw uh, last week was that even though the people have chosen uh, to reject God as their king, and they desire a king of their own choosing, uh, we saw that what God was communicating to his people is that that doesn't change the reality of the fact that I am still king. I am still exercising my leadership over you, my covenant people. Uh, And so uh, hopefully what we're beginning to see and have been seeing is that it's not just the people uh, in the the book of 1 Samuel that struggle to submit to and follow our covenant king. Uh, You and I struggle in those same ways as well. Uh, And it would be good for us to hear uh, the, the urging and the calling uh, from our God through his prophet Samuel for us to follow, to trust to, to trust in and submit to our covenant king. Uh, this morning we're going to see as Samuel is reminding and renewing his, uh, the, God's covenant relationship with his people, calling them yet again to faithfulness and trust, uh, we want to have ears to hear the same motivations, the same rationale that Samuel has and he's given to the people uh, that our hearts might be moved to see we too need to hear this message. We too constantly need to be called out of our unfaithfulness, out of our stubborn hearts to a place of dependence and trust in our God and our King. So if you would, look with me. We're in chapter 12 this morning. If you want to follow along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 233. We're going to look at the whole chapter this morning um, as this covers uh, this whole speech by Samuel to the people as they were gathered there at Gilgal. So let's hear the word of the Lord. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before Yahweh and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, Yahweh is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, Yahweh is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron 
and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before Yahweh concerning all the righteous deeds of Yahweh that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to Yahweh and Yahweh sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot Yahweh their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to Yahweh and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken Yahweh and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And Yahweh sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hands of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. When Yahweh your God was your king. And now, behold, the king you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, Yahweh has set a king over you. If you will fear Yahweh and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of Yahweh, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow Yahweh your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of Yahweh, but rebel against the commandment of Yahweh, then the hand of Yahweh will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that Yahweh will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon Yahweh that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of Yahweh in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon Yahweh, and Yahweh sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared Yahweh and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to Yahweh your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet, do not turn aside from following Yahweh, but serve Yahweh with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For Yahweh will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it has pleased Yahweh to make you a people for Himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against Yahweh by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear Yahweh and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. But... If you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts even greater than we do. You know uh, the various things that we need to hear. Uh, You have given us your word and your spirit continues to apply to bring about Your purposes in our hearts and our lives. We pray and ask this morning that You would please give us ears to hear. Uh, Would our 
our, our deaf ears and our, and our blind eyes and our hard-heartedness fall away? Would we humble ourselves before the Word of our covenant King? Would we hear Your call to us to faithfulness? And would You change us through Your Word this morning that we might listen and hear and obey and walk in faith and trust and dependence upon You? Do this for the sake of Jesus, our King, we pray. Amen. We need encouragement. We need to hear the call from our God to walk faithfully before Him. What is it going to take? What should motivate us as the people of God to walk in trust and faithfulness before Him? We're going to see in this, this passage that Samuel uses uh, three, three different things to motivate the people of God to walk in faithfulness. First, we're going to see him use the promise of blessing to move the hearts of people, the people of God to obedience. We're going to see him use the threat and the warning of curse to call his people to faithfulness and obedience. And we're going to see him point them to gratitude as a motivation for following and walking with our covenant God and trust and obedience. So first, uh, let's, uh, let's look here uh, at, at blessing. Here, remember, Samuel is renewing this covenant, restoring the, the kingdom or the kingship, drawing and pointing the people in the midst of their unfaithfulness and their failure back to the covenant realities and dynamics that they have in this relationship that they have with the one living and true God who has called them to be His people. We see here that He, he uses the promise of covenant blessing to motivate and encourage and call the people to faithfulness. Uh, look, look down in, in verse 14. If you will fear Yahweh and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of Yahweh, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow Yahweh your God, it will be well. God here is promising blessing. He is saying that, that when you walk and trust and depend and obey me by faith, it will go well for you. Here, he's, he's speaking and talking to the covenant people, to those who, uh, uh, who have been either converted into following the, the one true and living God, the God of Israel, and then been circumcised and brought into his covenant people. Or it also includes the, the children of believers who have been marked with circumcision for the males or as children or who uh, as, as girls were brought into the covenant under the headship of their father. Uh, all, for everybody here that's a part of this visible covenant community, they have the privilege and the responsibility and the great obligation of walking faithfully with the one living and true God that He might use them to bring His glory to the nations. And here He tells them, blessing comes from walking and trusting and following Me. Don't stray. 
Don't chase after other things. Don't walk in disobedience. Because when you walk with me in faith and trust, it goes well. Think about how this works in, just in our, our own experience. Our kids over the past several years have been learning to use uh, knives at, at dinner to cut, their, to cut their food. Not to fight or throw, uh, but to cut their food. And every single one of them, as they've been trying to learn how to use a knife, always make the same mistake. They try to cut with it on the wrong side holding it upside down. So they're trying to cut their, their, their meat with the dull edge of the knife. What do we have to tell them? It doesn't, it doesn't work that, that way. If, if you don't want it to be as hard, if you don't want it to be as difficult, if you want it to go well, you need to use it the way that it's designed. Flip it over and use it the proper way and it will go better and it'll be easier. Or think about other uh, ways that that the promise of, uh, of things going better or going well or experiencing blessing or reward function, particularly for, for children, but this works for adults too. I don't know if you remember when you were in elementary school, uh, if you read a certain amount of books, the teachers would hand out prizes. At my, at my elementary school, it was ice cream scoops. And I remember wanting to be the very first one to get my ice cream scoops all the way to the top so that I could get the reward, the blessing of the ice cream. When Adelaide was in school here at Sheep Harney, it was uh, pizza from Pizza Hut. And we racked up a bunch of Pizza Hut coupons and went over there and had a family feast on the blessing that she secured from, uh, from all the books that she was reading. The promise of blessing encourages and motivates us to carry out our responsibilities or to live as we've been called to live. And here we see the same thing. Uh, this was, has always been the case. Think about even as God was establishing his covenant with his people when he brought them out of Egypt and he led them to Mount Sinai and he explained to them, I'm your Lord, your God, I've brought you out of Egypt. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. There's a promise, a promise of blessing there, that your days may go long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Later, as God carries, explains his covenant even further in the book of Deuteronomy, he lists the blessings that come from following and walking with him. Uh, are those dynamics still at play for us? Is this just kind of an Old Testament thing? Well, it's, it's interesting. If, if you look over in Ephesians chapter 5, or Ephesians chapter 6, actually, Paul is writing uh, to the church in Ephesus. He's writing again to, in this particular passage, he's speaking to the children who have been considered members of that covenant community, those who have been baptized into as uh, the children of believers. Uh, but this, this uh, instruction applies bro more broadly to the entire church that's gathered there. Listen to what he says. Applying these Old Testament covenant dynamics to the New Covenant, New Testament people of God under the Lordship of Jesus. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you 
and that you may live long in the land. Blessing. The promise of blessing. Encouraging and seeking to motivate the people of God through the promise of blessing. Think about other places this comes up in the New Testament. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where they're going to be destroyed and rot and people are going to steal and take them away, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. At least the promise is when you're walking and depending and trusting on me, there is reward and blessing that awaits you. Or to think about the the discussion back and forth in the, the New Testament about the promise of rewards. I don't know exactly what those rewards are going to be. They're not going to be rewards as the world thinks of them, but there's at least blessing that Jesus has on offer for his people to motivate us to walk faithfully before him. Or to think about this in Mark 10, when Jesus encountered the rich young ruler and he walks away, when Jesus tells him to, to give away his, uh, his belongings uh, and to follow Christ, and the disciples respond like this. They say, see, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Here, Jesus is communicating, again, this dynamic of being in covenant relationship with the one living and true God, that there are blessings on offer for those who trust and walk and follow Him. Now, here is not talking explicitly about uh, material things, like we're all going to be real estate moguls and have uh, all these these material possessions. Uh, That's the way that the world is thinking. Here, Jesus is promising uh, that we are going to be cared for and provided as we walk and trust and depend on our God. But notice it's not always going to be easy. He's not promising comfort. There's going to be persecutions. But what's the ultimate blessing of the covenant? Eternal life. Eternal life with our God. Here, uh, we we see that that God is, is calling us and Reminding us that there is blessing that comes from following Him. Uh, It is good for us. If we want to experience, remember we saw this in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, if we want to experience life in its fullness, as God intended and designed it, the only place we will find it is walking in obedience and trust. Blessing comes. A full life comes from walking with our God. But sometimes that's hard to believe, isn't it? Sometimes we buy into the old, old, old lie of the evil one. That blessing doesn't come from covenant obedience and faithfulness. Blessing, fullness of life, joy, happiness comes from rebellion because God doesn't have your best interest in mind. He isn't about blessing you. He's about keeping and robbing you of joy. Look at these foolish laws and regulations that are trying to keep you from doing what you want to do. Don't you know better what makes you happy than this grump up in the sky? You want to find blessing? Rebel. Do your own thing. Set up your own kingdom. Hear the call of your God. Hear 
the reminder that blessing comes from following Him in covenant trust and obedience. Do not be led astray. Hear the calling of your God through the prophet Samuel to us, His covenant people this morning. Blessing is in store. Life as God intended it for us, His people. But but blessing doesn't always motivate us, does it? You see, if you're, if you're like me, my, uh, my heart can be stubborn. My ears can be clogged up. Uh, sometimes I need something stronger to deep, dig deep into my heart, to break that hardness, to open up my ears. You know this one from when you were a kid. The, the promise of ice cream for reading books might not have sunk through. But maybe the, the threat of, of an F in reading and having to repeat first grade again might motivate you. Or hearing from your parents, if you don't do your homework, you will not be able to play on the baseball team this year. Or to think about penalties for speeding in our community. The threat of a ticket? Eh, Maybe not. But man, when that insurance payment starts going up, you're going to think twice about whether to obey the law or not. Sometimes the threat of consequence, the threat of curse, is what we need to break the hardness of our heart. And do you see God is doing the same thing here? Because sometimes blessing doesn't motivate well. But God isn't above warning His people through the threat of curse. Look as He goes on, following verse 14. If you follow Yahweh your God, it will be well. But if you, do, if you will not obey the voice of Yahweh, but rebel against the commandment of Yahweh, then the hand of Yahweh will be against you and your king. Remember, this is the same language that was described of how God was relating to the Philistines. God will begin to relate to you and bring things into your life, not in a blessing way, but in this hard, difficult, punishing way. It says in 16, Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that Yahweh will do before your eyes. Maybe the people were beginning to think, ah, God doesn't work like this. These threats are empty. He's not going to follow through. He's a God of love. Encouragement. He wants to build up my self-esteem. No. Samuel and the Lord want to make a point to show, no, God is serious about sin. And He can bring about and work in our lives in this way. Notice what he says. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon Yahweh that He may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of Yahweh, and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon Yahweh, and Yahweh sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared Yahweh and Samuel. Uh, consulted our resident agricultural scholar in the church, Wesley, this week. 
uh, to find out what's going on with the whole deal here about wheat. You see, in Israel at this time, it's been the dry season. They're harvesting wheat. And uh, Wesley says, just as it was going on there, happens here. If you get rain during the wheat harvest, it can affect the quality of the crop you're harvesting. A little bit of rain might not affect it much, but the more you get and the amount you get, you can go from great food quality wheat to something that degrades and loses its quality and it's only good for animals to eat. And if it gets even more, it can degrade to where not even the animals will want to eat it. You see, God is saying, Baal isn't in control. I'm in control. You think the greatest fear and concern you have is with the Philistines? Is with Nahash? No. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Don't fear the one who can hurt the body, Jesus would say. Fear the one who can destroy and punish the soul forever. Here, God is saying... Take note. Your sin matters. This is great disobedience. He's seeking to wake up the people to see the significance of their sin. And notice how they respond. When they realize and see it, it says in the end of verse 18, they greatly feared Yahweh and Samuel. And then it moves on. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to Yahweh your God that we may not die. Because remember, they're getting it. They understood. They didn't need Wesley to explain it to them. A famine could result from this. We need God to step in. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. It's the fear of God. It's the threat of punishment. The threat of covenant curse that leads to repentance. You see, it's it's not just the kindness of our God that leads to repentance. Sometimes, due to the hardness and stubbornness of God's people, and because of His great love for us, He will use warnings and curse. The Westminster Confession uses the language of gospel threatenings to motivate and move the hearts of the people. And notice the response that Samuel says. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following Yahweh, but serve Yahweh with all your heart. Notice that the encouragement not to fear only comes after repentance. What this should show us is that if we aren't walking in a relationship of trust and love and obedience and dependence and faith, humbly before our God, we should be fearful. That goes for those who are outside of God's covenant community, who have explicitly rejected Jesus as their king. But it also goes for us who are content with showing up and kind of going through the motions. We may call ourselves a follower of Jesus, but... We continue and persist to live in in unrepentance, failing to recognize the blessings, the warnings, the encouragement of our God. Fear is a proper response. 
in that situation. And may we, if you are in that situation and circumstance right now, listen to what Samuel's saying. Respond appropriately to that fear, to that promise, to that warning, and repent. Walk in faithfulness. Rest. Because the promise on offer is one of forgiveness and pardon. Do not be afraid. It's what God extends to those who respond to these curses, these warnings in repentance. Now again, we may think, ah, Old Testament stuff. God doesn't operate and act like this anymore. He's got a love. God of grace. Why do we think that discipline isn't grace? That God's grace isn't shown in the fact that He pursues us. That He will not let us remain in our rebellion. Think about Acts chapter 5. Remember Ananias and Sapphira when we were going through the book of Acts? They were lying to the Holy Spirit. And what did God do? In the New Testament, He struck them down dead. And the reaction and the response in the, the, the church was not, whoa, 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 God doesn't act like that anymore. Something else must have happened. No. It says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. God is not beyond using fear to motivate and work. Because sometimes, if you're stubborn like me, you need that. And God, as a good Father, will sometimes bring that into our lives. We saw it a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 11. Why were there people who were sick and dying in the church in Corinth? It's because they were rebelling against their God and defiling the Lord's Supper and spurning other people in the midst of the covenant community. And God was bringing His covenant discipline into the lives of His people and warning them. And Paul says, He's bringing this now so that you may escape the judgment yet to come. Are we responding and hearing and recognizing how seriously our God takes sin? Uh, Look at this. There's several places we could go in the book of uh, Hebrews. There's a lot of warnings in the book of Hebrews to covenant faithfulness for the people of God. But listen just to to this one in, in verses 26 to 31 of chapter 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately, living a life of disobedience and unrepentance, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Notice, this is speaking to the church. You can move from being a part of the member of the visible people of God to being an adversary, one whose hand God is against like the Philistines and Samuel, right? Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know Him 
who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, here, the Scriptures aren't talking about loss of salvation. But you need to know this. Great levels of assurance of your salvation cannot be had with prolonged living in disobedience and unrepentance. The two do not go hand in hand. Do you want to be assured of your salvation? Do you want part of the blessings? We're not talking about earning your salvation. We're talking about experiencing and seeing evidence of the fruit of a changed heart that comes through walking in dependency and trust upon our Lord. But the promise here, you want to just be content to call yourself a Christian, but to live a life and to have a heart that scorns your God? Jesus is saying, you need to hear and take these warnings seriously. For you will experience the ultimate covenant curse, which is being cut off from Him and from His people. May this not be true of us. May we, like the author of Hebrews says, I'm certain of other things concerning you, things that have to do with salvation and faithfulness. But hear your God speak to you now, people of God. Let the warning work properly. Hear the threat of judgment for you who would scorn the Son of God. If the blessing doesn't motivate, may the curse motivate. It's not just blessing. It's not just curse. Those are actually secondary. The primary motivator that Samuel moves and encourages the original audience here in Gilgal and you and me this morning it's not blessing. It's not curse. It's, it's actually gratitude. Uh, look in verse 24, how he s- closes up this speech. Only fear Yahweh and serve Him faithfully with all of your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. Think about all that this God has done for you. May that, may that be what motivates and moves you to walk faithfully with Him. In fact, the, the whole first part of, the, the, of chapter 12 is God reca- Samuel recounting the great things God has done. The dynamic of a prophet leading the people of God was going well. Samuel wasn't taking advantage of them. He was instructing them in the ways of the Lord. And they said, no, you did. You served faithfully. God was faithful to begin to care for His people. He goes back and says, don't you remember how when the people began to be oppressed by the Egyptians, they called out and what did God do? He did great things on their behalf. He came and He delivered them through the hand of of Moses and Aaron. But the people forgot. They rebelled. They sinned. And so responding to the threats of curse that He promised, He brought the other nations in. It tells us down in, uh, in verse uh, 9, Sisera and the Philistines and the king of Moab, 
They called out in repentance. And how did God respond? He comes and He delivers them. But notice what happens later. They don't remember. They aren't thankful. They, aren't, they don't have gratitude for their God and who He is. Notice how in verse 12 what He says, And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, and you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. When Yahweh your God was your king. The people don't have gratitude. It's as if they've completely forgotten. The blessings weren't sinking in. The curses weren't sinking in. And the gratitude of all of who their God was. This is the wrong response. Notice what Samuel says. Even here, in this moment, Samuel is compiling and God is heaping another great act of the works He's done on their behalf. Remember what it said in verse 20? Samuel said, Do not be afraid. You've done all this evil. Let's not try to hide it or fake it. Yet, do not turn aside from following Yahweh, but serve Yahweh with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Why? Why don't go after these empty things? In verse 22, For Yahweh will not forsake His people. For His great name's sake, because it has pleased Yahweh to make you a people for Himself. Here now, experience and know the grace of your God. He's seeking to expose to you your wickedness. He's seeking to expose to you your sin and your rebellion. Samuel says, don't be afraid. Yeah, you've sinned. But you know what? You have a God who's greater than your sin. And here, He is extending yet again the promise of grace and mercy to you, His people. From the beginning, you should know and recognize this. Did you see what he, what he said? Their whole existence as a covenant people is rooted in gratitude. It pleased Yahweh to make you a people for Himself. Remember back to the history Samuel's just recounted? What of their actions and their response would please Yahweh and move Him to save them? Nothing. Not a single thing. This omniscient God who knows all things knows of their rebellion. Why? Why would He be pleased to make this people His? Because of His love. His free grace and His mercy. Do you realize and know and see the same thing is true of you? God isn't saving you because of your covenant faithfulness. God isn't saving you because you have your life all together. God isn't saving you because you're not like your neighbor or you're not like the, 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 the heathen in some other country that's rebelling against God. He saved you only because of His love and His free grace and His mercy. If this people, hearing Samuel at Gilgal, have so much to be thankful for, 
that gratitude should be overwhelming their hearts, that this would be what motivates them to always walk in faithfulness with their God. How much more do you and I have? How much more of the great things have we seen that God has done for us? Here, they have a mediator. Do you recognize that they said, Samuel, pray for us? And he did. In fact, he he actually says in verse 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against Yahweh by ceasing to pray for you. God desires, necessitates a mediator for his people. Samuel was a good mediator. But there was one to come, the perfect one. God would take on flesh. He would enter in. He he would take all of the covenant curse for the rebellion of his people. Do you understand that? God, the initiator of the covenant, took the curse you and I deserve so that we would experience blessing in Jesus. Jesus, who suffered, who died, who rose, who sits at the right hand of the Father. And guess what He ever lives to do and He continues to do for you and for me? The same thing Samuel is doing here. Praying, interceding, the great work for the preservation and the faithful living of His people. Hear this, people of God. Hear the voice of your sovereign and gracious King. May it be the gratitude of all of the great works that Jesus has done for you that would cause you to always think in the midst of when you're wrestling and struggling with sin, why? Why would I want to rebel against this King, against this God. Hear the promises of blessing. Fear the threat of curse, but be rooted in the grace and the mercy of Jesus, your covenant King. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your mercy to us that You've extended to us in Christ. Jesus, we thank You Uh, that as our covenant king, you still continue to use the the great covenant document of the Word of God. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would apply uh, these words to the hearts and the lives of your people. Convict us. Convert us. Fix our hope and our trust always and only on Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.